all right, we finally got you. I no longer have to call bullshit. We, we got Taka, you. Taka, he's like, Marcus doesn't have time while he's mixing. He's doing it. He thinks we go like this. He's sitting around. He thinks we go like this now. Yeah. Like, uh, like 2000. Yeah. Can you turn up the bass? Yeah. Just too, like, too much compression. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, that sounds good. More bass. And I'm running over to Dave with those. Well, and, yeah, you mixed with th- four en- engineers. Four did guys. You, how many did you mix, Taka? Three. You did three. Two Daves and a James. You two didn't James, even meet two my Daves guy. And a James, James who I never met, did, who did the track that you worked on. Yeah. Yeah. But Dave Rideau and Dave Isaac. Right. right? Why and do I know him as David Ward? His name, uh, David Isaac Ward. But oh, there was okay. Another David Ward, so he, nah, he goes by David Isaac. You know. But he did a good job. I mean, it's like yeah. you have to. Um, it's a lot of email in the mix to you. Yeah. You know. Uh, version three. You know, Ugh. and then I gotta write, listen, and then just write down specifically what it is. So you really gotta be able to describe. You know what I mean? You but it's like you're like, in some undisclosed location, yeah. hovering above Earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like crazy. But no. you know, it's like I, I needed to use multiple guys because we had a deadline. We need to get it done before the holidays, no. so that the tour um, wouldn't get messed up. You know, the release of the record has to happen. Before the tour, so that yeah, everything yeah, lines yeah, up, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. And, and press so has like, to happen in in advance of that, and that's all set up. And yeah. now it, I mean, I'm glad it worked out. It just was like it was like the Amazing Race. It literally did you have like four or five consecutive twenty twenty four? Yeah. 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 Well, my guy Taka, who's like my assistant here, mm-hmm. we uh, yeah, I think we spent probably four or five days. How many twenty four hour days did we do, Taka? Four. We did four 24-hour days. <laughs> just talking in the background. Yeah, so we did like 96 hours, you know what I mean? Like, oh, that's ridiculous, man. But, it, it, you know, like, he would work, and I'd go lay down on the couch for 20 minutes yeah. and pull it together. It's like you know? Kramer. It's like the Da Vinci naps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 20 minutes and, here. And you know what? I, I get into this mode in crunch time where all of a sudden I get real clear, you know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah. all of a sudden it's like I'm not tired anymore. As long as it's notes, as long as there's music involved, you know what I mean? Right. I can get I can get okay. But then after it's all done, it takes me like weeks to pull it back together. You know <laughs> but I mean? then you have to go right out on the road or, or Well no, I you know, we had the holidays, you know yeah, what I mean? I had, I had a little bit time. of time to re- to relax, you know what I mean? So Is that a normal process for you with one of your own records? Or any yeah. record? Yeah, with, with one of my own records, uh, it's pretty normal. Because, you know, no matter how long of a time you have to do something you know, creativity is like water. It just, it expands to fill the space. You yeah. know what I mean? So it's, if you were supposed to turn it in in September, you know, first, you know what I mean? At the end of August, yeah. you just jam it. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then if somebody says, okay, forget September 1st, you know, turn it in in November. Uh-huh. You figure, well, I don't have much to do. I was ready to turn it in <laughs> September. But all of a sudden you get all these new ideas. You know what I mean? Right. And we're in an era where, you know, if you have an idea, you can make it happen. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Like, you can say, man, I really wish I had Keb Mo on some slide guitar on this thing. Right. And then, you you know, you say, Keb, where, you, where are you? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, well, that's what we did with our track, man. Yeah, exactly. It was just like, you know, we're just sitting there, and two days later, we got, you know, Chuck D on a thing, and it's like, wow. Yeah. So it's a, for a, a person who, who, who was creative, man, it's a really exciting time, but... Yeah, you know, I, but for everyone around the person yeah. that's creating, yeah, it's kind and the people of around insanity. me are tripping. You know, what I mean, like, you know, when is the record going to be done? You know, uh, 
it sounded great when we were in the studio, you know. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, but I got some other ideas to complete the record, you know what I mean? I right. got some other songs, you know. And that's what happened with the song that we worked on. You know? Yeah. No, it really came together like last minute. Yeah. But we we I want to talk about some other records to be okay. honest cuz this is the the idea of having you on this show like we've had like M. Tume, Layla, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think who else. I mean, you come up a lot on the show because I mean, and now everybody's sick of hearing sort of my Marcus stories. <laughs> I, I actually, my New Year's resolution for the podcast was to have you on the show and right. never mention and you, you again. <laughs> you and Eddie Harris. Because right. there's, oh, wow. there's a famous Eddie Harris story on the show of him yelling at me in front of a lot of people uh, and changing the course of my career, to be quite honest. But we won't repeat, repeat that. But I, I want to talk to you about the period of time I spent hanging out with you. Okay. Because that, to me... It's funny, like, people know you as Marcus Miller now, right? Mm -hmm. But every time I see an interview, it's kind of like, you know, people don't remember that you produced tons of platinum records. I mean, when I met you, I think you were 27. Mm -hmm. And you already had the career of a (laughs) 40-something-year-old. And that always flipped me out because I was just like, wow, you know, this guy's only like 12 years older than me. But he's like ready for the gold watch almost, you know. know, And that that was really atypical of that time period to have someone that young, given the keys to the store, you know, like you know, Mm -hmm. to produce records and and, Mm -hmm. and play on so many things. And in particular, I want to talk about the two Miles Davis records, especially the one that I got to see made top to bottom, which is Amala. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. when I watched, especially Amala get made in the tail end of Siesta. They really felt like your sort of Harvard-level master's class sort of... They're like your first real solo records, Mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned. I don't really think of them, and this will sound strange maybe to folks, but for me, those are Marcus Miller solo records, not necessarily featuring Miles Davis, Mm -hmm. but watching them get made and knowing that unless it was Kenny Garrett or, or, or... you know, maybe a, a drummer here and there, like, you did everything. And mm-hmm. I don't know that people really... I mean, they know that, I think, on Tutu, but I don't know. Amanda seems to not get spoken about as much, and I don't right. get that. Well, if I um, if I had to uh, talk about Amanda and Tutu, Tutu, no one had ever heard anything like that. You no. Know? And you really can't... So Amanda was a continuation right. of Tutu, where we are actually more comfortable. You know, with Tutu, it was, it was always, this is kind of out, but it's kind of cool. You know what right. I mean? It's kind of different. You know, Miles never done anything like this before. With a, by the time we got to Amanda, we were very comfortable with the format, and we were comfortable with, uh, you know, my relationship with Miles was very comfortable by the time we got to yeah. Amanda. You know what I mean? So, so, so there are things on Amanda that I go, wow, man, uh, I wish that composition was on Tutu. You know what right. I mean? I mean, Tutu, the song was great but if I could combine those two records that's the statement that's that period of time you know can I, mean? I guess at one of them what Hannibal yeah Hannibal is absolutely uh, one Mr. Pastorius you know right. I, mean? I was very pleased with the way that came out you know um, and you know because you know people say hey, yeah that you know those albums were Marcus albums with Miles as a as a soloist especially somebody like you because you were there to see me yeah I have a put unique the thing together yeah um, the thing is all of my stuff, all those hours I took to put it together mm. equals one 20-minute session of Miles walking in the studio and just playing the first thing off of his head right. and then leaving. You yeah. know, that makes it equal. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. his personality and his Oh, no, his by, genius, by, by no means am I 
Yeah, no, no, why? I know, you know. Because yeah. I, yeah, because the, what I always remember is at the time, Miles had some sort of beef publishing-wise. There was a thing where he wasn't writing. I don't. I never really understood it. Never dug into what it could be, mm-hmm. but it seemed to give you as as really the guy. Like, listen, he had he had Train, he had Wayne Shorter, he had got you know Gil Evans. He had guys that he like he went to. You were one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Pretty mm-hmm. heavy. <laughs> yeah, you know to have that trust. Yeah, well, you know what happened was with Tutu. Um, I remember I had heard that Miles left Columbia, mm-hmm. which was a big deal at the time because he'd been. Columbia for a very long time mm. and Dr. George Butler who was a great friend of mine yeah. um, he was responsible for pulling Miles out of this retirement this self-imposed retirement right. that he was in, in in the mid to late 70s it was maybe five or six years from maybe 75 to 80 that Miles didn't play he, he was, wasn't on the scene yeah. and in that period of time you know Winton Marsalis came on the scene yeah. Woody Shaw was doing his thing for a while you know I mean there were a lot of trumpet players and people weren't really sure whether Miles was even alive, you know. Right. I mean? So Dr. George Butler was responsible for going to Miles's house every day and just kind of, you know, slowly but surely urging him, convincing him to come out of retirement. So he came out of retirement uh, and was on Columbia for a few years, but then he left. Right. So he left Columbia, and I heard, wow, Miles left Columbia. He was signing with Warner Brothers. So I knew the guys at Warner Brothers because. I've been working with Al Jarreau and David Sanborn, a lot of Warner Brothers. I was actually yeah. signed as an artist myself. My, my group Jamaica Boys was with Warner Brothers. So I called Tommy LaPuma. I said, man, congratulations. I heard you guys sign Miles Davis. He said, yeah, man, I'm really excited. I said, so uh, what are you guys doing? He said, man, we're, we're, we're meeting and listening to all sorts of really cool producers, you know, and if you got anything, you know, if you got anything for Miles, let me know. So... You know, I hung up the phone. As soon as I hung up the phone, I heard, doom, like immediately, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was in a hotel in L.A., so when I got home to New York, you know, I put it together, and I put together another tune of ballad called Porsche. Mm. And the whole thing was, with Tutu, was that because I knew Miles. I had played in his band for two years when he came out of retirement, yeah, yeah. you know, just as the bass player, and I knew bebop era, Birth of the Cool era, hard bop, modal, electric. I felt like I really knew him, and I felt like I also know this period that we're living in right now. Sure. Which, which at the time was like 1985, 86. Yeah. Right? So I'm like, I really feel like I can like put all those elements together. Mm-hmm. You know, it's gonna be hard, but I really feel like I can do it. So that's that was my my challenge. So if you listen to Tutu, man, you hear a New Orleans shuffle. Yeah. You hear. Gil Evans voicings, you hear Herbie Hancock piano movement, you hear uh, uh, soft brass yeah. that he used in the Birth of the Cool thing. There's like actually like a muted trombones playing the melody right. of Tutu in the back. And then you also hear 1985. You hear samples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You Very voices, much so. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, I came out to L.A. with my little demo, my little cassette demo, and I played it for Tommy LaPuma. You know, it was the Capitol, you know, the really sure. famous, iconic, round building in L.A. I went down to the studio there and played my, my demos for, for Tommy. He goes, oh, this is great. Let's record it. I said, okay, great. Where's the band? He said, no band. I said, what do you mean no band? He said, I want to sound just like it sounds on your cassette. How did you do that? I said, well, you know, I did it like R&B style. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like yeah, pop music yeah. style. I just yeah. stacked all the instruments, you know, on multi-track, you know. 
did the drums, did the bass, did the keyboards. I want to do it like that. Right. I said, now you you realize, Tommy, this is top, this is Miles Davis yeah. record we're talking about. He goes, yeah, but Miles wants to do something different, yeah. and this is different. So, yeah, man. So I said, okay. Called SIR, the rental company there uh, here in L.A., and uh, got all the stuff, man. And uh, I called uh, Jason Miles because he had given me a vocal sample for an emulated keyboard. I said, send me that vocal disc with the vocal sample. Right, right, you know right. That means right. I can p- play some voices on the thing. And we did Tutu. We did Porsche. We did another song called Splatch. Mm. Uh, Miles wasn't even there. No, you know? I know. That's so I was, I, I was recording stuff, and the whole time I'm going, man, Miles going to come in here, and he could easily say, oh, that sounds horrible, you know what I mean? Yeah. But when he did come in, which was like three or four days after I started, he was like, oh, man, that sounds good. Who's that on trumpet? Because I used a trumpet sample to give him an idea of sure. what the melody would be. He said, who's that on trumpet? Sounds like Nat Adderley. <laughs> I wow. Like, I was trying to make it sound like Miles, but Nat yeah. Adderley's not a bad no, guy. No, no, like, you know? no. Anyway, he said, let me know when you need trumpet. Yeah. And so uh, I... Uh, few days later I said Miles I'm ready to put the trumpet on here now now this is like it's better than Matt Adderley yeah, but. <laughs> yeah 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 Matt no no Matt yeah, okay, yeah. Matt, yeah. <laughs> at least we're really exactly. in the ballpark yeah we're really in the ballpark <laughs> Sorry. so he was he was he came in and you know I was in his band but I never like dealt with him like as a like an equal as somebody who would tell him what to do you know what I mean? This is my first time because he's at the mic and he's going to add the trumpet to this kind of thing that I did. And uh, so the first pass, he's just fooling around. And finally he goes, when are you going to tell me what the hell to do? <laughs> and I go, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, look, man, I know you know what I'm supposed to be doing here. Right. Okay. So you tell me. You wrote this. You know what it's supposed to sound like. Mm. Let me know. So I gave him a couple of tentative instructions. And it started sounding so good that once the music started sounding good, I lost all my inhibitions, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because the music took over. And I'm holding my hand up, stop, don't play here, <laughs> not play. And then I'm giving them like the continue <laughs> sign, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, you know, I, I might even got up and started dancing at one point, you, you know what I mean? Like, Calloway. I, yeah, I became myself, you know yeah. what I mean? Well, yeah. And, and, uh, and he just reacted, man, and I looked in the control room, and Tommy Lapoom was just like, I can't believe this, you know what I mean? So that was like his first full take. And uh, we did a couple of other songs like that, and we left. And the next morning, I'm going back home because I did my three songs. Who knows how much they'll use? They're using yeah. a whole bunch of guys, and I'm just glad to even have the opportunity because that was a, a moment of a lifetime just to give yeah. him direction like that. And I left, went home, you know, listened to the cassette that they sent me home with, and said, "Oh, still sounds good today." You know, sometimes you do yeah. stuff that sounds great one day, and it's the next day terrible. you go, "What were we thinking?" But yeah. uh, it sounded good. And they call me and they say, you know what, we've been thinking and we want you to finish the album. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So that was how that responsibility came to be. You know what I mean? So it's a long story. So if you No, but it sounds it. great because it was organic yeah. and you came from a real place and it wasn't like, you know, this contrived, like I did all these things and he's right. going to paste him on. Right. Know? No, no. I, I really, and you know what happened was, you know, I considered this an outlier from Miles's whole catalog. Like, yeah. look, he's done the real thing. <laughs> like, if he, if he hasn't done enough for you by now, by 1986, <laughs> you just, you know, you can't be satisfied. You yeah. know what I mean? No, for sure. So this is something that could be something interesting outside of his normal thing that could, you know, 
turn other people on to Miles who, who might not know who he is, but I felt very comfortable with it, you know? Yeah. And what's really crazy is that after I, um, you know, I would tell him where to play, where not to play. I would tell him where to improvise, where not to improvise. But he never asked me, and I, I didn't realize this till a few years ago, because a few years ago I did a project called Tutu Revisited, right? Yeah. And, you know, I used Christian Scott, bad dude, and Sean Jones, and I said, here's the changes, here's the chords, yeah. here's how it goes. And I realized, Miles never asked me any of that. He never, the guy was 60 years old, and he didn't ask me any questions about the music. He heard it, he said, got it, let's go. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, the guy, and I got, I got to feel like, you know, he went through bebop, you know, he went through birth of the cool, hard bop, all these styles. And where, hell. Where he had to, yeah, where he, yeah. Had, to, he had to change yeah. himself. And here he is again with this music that he's never heard. I got all sorts of sound effects, you know, yeah. they're panning from right to left, you know, and he would have the headphones on while he was recording and sometimes he would duck. <laughs> <laughs> because he heard something zoom by him, you know. <laughs> Like, what the hell was that? <laughs> and then he played. Then he played something crazy. And it, well, it, yeah. I, I t- and I felt like, okay, well, you know what? I can, I can do this with him. Right. You know, I, I know how to do this. He wasn't in the best of shape, lip-wise, chops-wise. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. I was writing things that were simple, that were like, you know, you know, it was much a, a thank you, Miles, for everything that you've given the world mm. as it was something for him to continue with, you know. And so album came out and all I know, man, is um one day I went to his house just to visit after the album had been out for about a month or two. I went to his house, man. What's happening, man? He said, Hey man, I wanna thank you. I said, What? He said, You brought me back. Right? <laughs> and you know, I'm twenty six, twenty seven at the yeah. time. It uh, you know, when you're 26, 27, when you when you're young, a lot of things happen that you don't know will become deep for you as you get older. But when Miles Davis stands in front of you and says, "Hey man, you brought me back. Thank you," and he said it with a look on his face like, "I promised myself that I would say this to you." Right. You know what I mean? It had that feeling. Right. And for him, who doesn't look like he promised himself mm. anything ever. It was really, it's really, really deep for me. And so from that point, you know, Tutu, some people like swore by it. Some people, there's college courses, mm-hmm. literally university college courses on that album. Oh, right? yeah. And then there are people who say the, it's a bunch of the, garbage. The, you know they hate I mean? it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, the, and you know, honestly, the, the mark of any kind of great work. Is, is always, you know, you ha- you need that controversy. Exactly. You know? So to me, you know? that was like, it's a perfect Miles album. You know what I mean? It, it was like, yeah, if everybody likes it, that means we didn't push hard enough. Yeah. We, we didn't, we didn't you know, experiment enough. You know what I mean? But yeah. the fact that he said, you brought me back, that's really what he meant. You know what I mean? It no, that's a good incredible. Album, but it was, it was, I'll tell you what else is crazy. Um, Tutu was mixed, and they wanted to send Miles a copy of the album so he could hear the final product mm. you know and uh i knew he was going to receive this this cassette wow. of the album so i called him after a couple hours I said what do you think about the album he said that oh, sounds great got a lot of echo on it are you cool with the echo 
know I exactly what you're And I said, well, you know, it, you know, it's modern, Miles. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like, like records, you know, we're, we're doing stuff like that these days. Yeah, you know yeah, what exactly. I mean? He said, okay, if you say so, sounds great. Right? Oh. So I go to his house a few hours later just to hang out, and I hear the cassette, and someone had made a mistake at the copying facility yeah. and created a loop, so every note went, dun yang 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 It's the Warner Brothers special effects loop. It sounded like a cartoon. I said, wait, Miles, no. This is not what the album sounds like. He said, I thought it sounded kind of funny. But I love that. I love the thought of Miles Davis being polite. Yeah, yeah. He was yeah. Like, he's like, if you like it and you tell me it's hip, yeah, it's modern, then let's let's go with it. You know, yeah. that's how that's how much faith he had. And I said, Miles, that's too much faith. Yeah. Okay. If it sounds whack like that, you gotta yeah. put your foot down. You know. Man. So it was it was an incredible honor, man, and and um, you know, but the fact that he told me that. I, I like what anyone has to say about Tutu is nice, but it really doesn't affect me at all. You no, know what I mean? nor should it was a gift to him, really. You know, that's I mean? amazing, that's incredible. And I don't imagine, I mean, listen, I've been around you and a lot of great artists, but I know that some artists just transcend, and I know that the other artists know that some artists transcend, yeah. you know, and, and that's totally understandable, you know, for me. The only thing I'd say about Amanla, and I don't even know, I mean, I might even just edit this out because I don't know that it needs to be public, but I felt like the the the, the mixes every night when, when it would just be, all right, guys, night's over. Mm-hmm. I think it was a Bruce Miller that was that was the sort of the tracking and, and day-to-day guy on that record. I feel like it was. It could have been Bruce Miller. Yeah. And maybe sometimes, you know, based on schedule, someone else would come in and out. Yeah, yeah we had a lot of guys. Exactly, and that was one of the things that I think that made it rough. Once once it got mixed, it's funny. It on my iPod, it'll come up, and I feel like something happened when that record got mixed. It lost in like an edge. Like, yeah. I would love to to like get my hands on and just sit with you with the with the splits, and and put the street back. And that record was like well, that that's um that's possible, and that's possible to do. You know what I mean? I'm and sure they've digitized it. It's just yeah, a question. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, um, with mixes, sometimes I have problem with mixes because I, I sit down to listen to a mix and then I end up listening to the notes. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, I, I don't hear in one ear, you know what I mean? So left and right panning doesn't, like, have anything That's, to do with me, you yeah. know what I mean? And then the the uh, the overall feeling of it, some people are really affected by a mix, you know what I mean? Yeah. If I can hear all the notes, I get I, I generally get the same feeling. But I can understand... You know, Bill Schnee, I think he did a great job on Tutu, and we were doing a lot of work. Did he mix Tutu? Yeah. I didn't know he mixed Tutu. All right. Bill Schnee mixed Tutu. He mixed um, George Benson Earl Crew album that we did at the same time. He mixed Double Vision by Bob James and David Sanborn. And, you know, um, I would love to go back in and just do like a, you know, if I told him, Make this raw. He would do that too. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I would love to go back in and fool around with those tracks. That know? yeah, that record. Cause I remember I was used to crack me up. Like that was the last. I think was that that was before was that before any love? I it, all these things sort of turn into like a mishmash of kind, dates. Kind of around the same period of time. It, it is. It's the same period, but I feel like I think any love was earlier actually. So that would make sense, cause cause Amanla. I remember going to school, going to Berkeley, and knowing every note of that record but it wasn't coming out for like another you know <laughs> five six months what year did you go to berkeley oh man exactly the the one year i went there um i think it was like 89 okay yep so that's right so i remember 
you know, it was, I felt like, you know, like, sort of like Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Like, I knew the future. <laughs> and I got to school and I was like, I need to stake my claim. Yeah, and I yeah, was yeah. like, I knew all this stuff right. that you had done on these records before people heard it. So, that, oh, that guy's really great. And I'm like, oh, man, they're going to figure it out. <laughs> it's going to catch up to me, but this feels so great. Yeah, it was funny. kind of a trip, but I knew all, like, you know, especially... Hannibal Man was just like something about that track was just well, so I really, special. I really, um, I, I gotten comfortable, you know, the, the harmonic concept that I I kind of ended up developing as I was working with Miles was that he used to when we were, when we were playing in his band in the early '80s, and I heard him do this even in the mid '70s mm. with his band from the '70s was he liked to play the organ from time to time. Yeah, yeah. And what he would play were chords based on fourths. Right. And he would find a way to move the force in half steps, either up or down. You know. What right. I mean? So he was always like playing. Marcus walks to the piano. Marcus walks. To the piano. <laughs> he's always doing stuff like. Right. Right. He's always doing stuff like that, and it always sounded really ominous because he was playing it on this Yamaha organ that had a really harsh sound. Right. And he was always scowling when he played it. <laughs> So it really yeah. like, but that continued for a long. Like he used to go up to the Oberheim, yes, yeah. and it would be like this cluster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said to myself, man, I would love to take that fourth concept, but find like, and move them around like that, but right. find like different feelings, like not just evoke like a sense of ominous, uh, you know, like an atmosphere, but maybe some joy, maybe some beauty, maybe some funkiness. You know right, what I mean? Right, like, right, right. like, but with those fourths, interesting, because right. it sounds like. It's, no one really moves chords around this way, you know what I mean? And I ended up developing like like almost a whole language based on it, and I really got comfortable with it when we did a mamba, you know what I mean? So Hannibal... Ridiculously so, yeah. Hannibal, so when you hear, like, um, Hannibal, the chords go like a... around trying to find ways that I could give Miles that flavor that seemed so appropriate for him. Right. But open up the emotional palette. Yeah. You know I mean? So, uh, Amandla was like that. Yeah. Hannibal was like that. You know, th th these are the tunes on that Amandla album. Mr. Pastorius. Mr. Pastorius, yeah. So, it was really, um, I don't think I would have developed that, um, that concept if I weren't writing for him. You know right. And that's what I think happens to a lot of people who work for Miles. Even if he doesn't give you any instruction, his fearlessness mm. somehow transfers to you. And mm. the next thing you know, you're writing stuff that you might second guess. You might have second thoughts about if you weren't around. You know what I mean? But it's, it's Miles. No. It can't be regular. You know, it, can't right. be, it can't be just like, it's got to be something different. You know what mm. I mean? So um, the thing about those albums is that because I started with that demo of Tutu, mm. which was put together like everyone put together R&B in those days. You know, it mm. was like sequences, we added stuff, we'd, we'd do a drum beat and a bass line, listen to it over and over again, and then add the keyboard, listen to that, add the guitar. So we were putting things together like Swiss clocks, you know what yeah. I mean? Completely different from a jazz continuum, real-time yeah. kind of thing. And like I said, because I felt like this was an outlier, this period of Miles's, you know, output, 
Mm. I figured, oh, this is cool, this is interesting. You know, I always compared the music that we were doing then to, uh, to like a, a painting, you know what I mean? With music, especially with jazz, something would go by, <laughs> and you go, did I just hear what I just heard? Mm. And unless it was recorded, you don't know, you know what I mean? Because mm. it, it just happened, it went by you. Mm. But with a painting, you can stand in there for three hours. Right. And look at it. You're always going to find something. You're always going to... It doesn't leave. It doesn't leave. It's right there for you. Yeah. And this music, because it's groove-oriented, man, and it, and it, and it, and it was... Uh, we were stacking things on top, you know, and we weren't afraid to repeat things. You can listen to Tutu, and you can really start to see the detail. You, you know, you can see, you know, the, the, the fiber. Mm. You know what I mean? So I thought it was an interesting thing for him to do. Not something that I expected him to do for a long time. Mm. So by the time we got to Amanda, I was like, you know what, rather than play every instrument <laughs> on this recording, mm. let me build it up, get it sounding right, and then let me add a soloist. Let me add, mm. besides Miles, let me add a soloist. Let me add Kenny Garrett here. Mm. Let me have Omar Hakim come in here and play the drums here. Let me have a Foley come in and play a soloist. Yeah, I remember. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. So it was, um, it was starting to, to, to point Miles back into a live direction, you know, which is where, you know... Was there any directive from, from anyone to say, hey, in, involve some of the guys from his band? Because I remember Joey DeFrancisco came in. Yeah. I yeah. had just been in high school with him, and yeah. then he comes... I mean, he played just like yeah. an eight-bar thing. It wasn't right, like... exactly. A, but, exactly. But, but did anybody say to you, hey, like, we need some guys in here? Or, was it, or no, you were given the freedom to make that choice? Yeah, nobody asked me to do anything, but I know that Miles was... You know, he had a working band. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, how, how do you think they felt? You know, his next album was just me doing my thing. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm sure it felt weird. And, I, and you know, I don't want to, you know, I wanted to. There were great players in that band. Yeah. You know, Kenny Garrett. You know what I, I mean? Know. So I was like, you know what? Let's involve these cats. Let's let's start to involve the band so it can be more of a unified, organic statement. Yeah. No, I remember, I remember being in the studio at the end of that record before it was getting mixed and guys were coming through to learn their parts. You were actually showing Adam Holtzman voicings oh, yeah. and specific yeah. sections of tunes because they were pretty ornate. I mean, right. like, they're not that, you know, quick to yeah, they're, anyone's they're ear. Yeah, they, they, they were weird. I mean, Herbie said, Marcus, I can hear everything. I can't figure out what the hell you <laughs> That's the best thing you could ever hear, though. <laughs> I mean, and the thing is, there's really, it's funny that you mentioned the impressionistic thing. You know, there, there, through many periods of Miles's career, the, it's funny. I wouldn't think so, but there's a heavy French impressionistic painting and 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 Debussy and this whole, like, I mean, Gil Evans. I mean, the Gil Evans thing is just well, those guys, those um, you know, early really, 20th century guys were really influential. You know what I mean? Because there were colors that they were finding that were really appealed to jazz musicians. You know? Oh, yeah. And a lot of them, you know, a lot of those composers moved here to the States, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and and they were influenced by the jazz musicians, you yeah. know what I mean? And the jazz musicians were influenced by them, you know? And, uh, well, sometimes, you know, an Impressionist composer uh, or early cent uh, 20th century composer would, would, would influence one guy, like right. Bill Evans, for, for example. Yeah, very and much. And then Bill Evans would end up because he's the one who took it and kind of translated it into maybe some more of a jazz format. And then Herbie heard that and go, oh, oh, oh I'm taking some of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And other people were influenced. But it was very much, and it influenced me. You know, I Yeah. Mean, 
No, but I mean, I, those harmonies are really, uh, you know, people don't really understand who, who aren't musicians. They don't understand how important harmony is. You know what I mean? Right. How emotional it is. You know. Yeah. And I, I was sitting there, man, just like, you know, saying, you know, I'm gonna put this in here. I'm gonna put this in here. A lot of even a lot of musicians didn't appreciate what I was writing because it was couched in such a uh, a contemporary uh, format. You know what I mean? There were drum machines and there was stuff. Yeah. So like like Christian Scott said to me when I when I heard that music, you know, I was young, but you know, I just heard like the futuristic sound. You know what I mean? Right. And then when we did Tutu Revisited, we kind of stripped it of most of the kind of you know, things that were modern in the 80s that were no longer yeah. modern. You know, we stripped it of that. He goes, I didn't know these compositions were underneath that. You know, yeah, I, I yeah, didn't yeah. realize that, under, that that supporting the whole thing were, were compositions. Uh, I think that Miles appreciated yeah. the compositions. You know what yeah. I mean? And I think he appreciated, he could hear through that because he's just, nothing phases him and he can, he can get to the core, the heart of something really quickly. That's why know? he probably never asked you anything about anything. No. Because no. he probably, you know, innately, or, or... He said, oh, yeah, this ain't nothing but some blues. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, <laughs> exactly. hear through all that clatter. Yeah. And yeah. just go, oh, yeah, it's some blues. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or I'm going to play this against that, you know? So it was, yeah, no, it, it was a great situation. Yeah, I think it's hard to face somebody that's seen the, a version of that movie so many times and, you know, was so integral in basically directing it, you know? Yeah, but you have to have faith in, uh, if you're making music for your era, yeah. is that there's something about your era that's going to make it a little unique. Mm. You know, so even if you're playing the blues or you're playing something that people from generation, generation before you have played, when it comes through your filter, because, you know, you are living in this era and you've heard loops or you've heard mm. drum machines or you've heard, you know, you know, you've heard the words of the first black president. You know what I mean? These yeah, kind of yeah, things no, are no, gonna—they're they gonna change your filter. And when the music comes out, you're hoping that it's gonna have something unique. Yeah. Know? No, it's 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 an interesting thing, you know, because I, 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 you know, having watched maybe ten or twelve different records that you you produce, you know, for me it was interesting because, you know, here I am, I'm like afraid almost every day that I'm going to be told, well, this is, you can't come anymore, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. So I watched all this, and it's in, you, you brought up Miles being fearless. You know, at a certain point, I remember during the Jamaica Boys, I mean, it took me, like, to, uh, from my own personal viewpoint, it took me, like, two years to finally relax and be like, no, these guys like you. <laughs> you're allowed to be here. <laughs> right. Just because you're not in 12th grade right. doesn't mean, right, like, right, right. you know, no one's doing you a solid right, right. now. Right. And I, I'll never forget, you know, there are those things you said, Miles said something to you that was like, no, he, it, it resonated and you knew that he thought to say it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily have a, a moment like that, but there was, there, I actually did, but you didn't know it. We were sitting uh, at Gramavision Studios uh, during second J-Boys record, mm -hmm. and I was, I was playing bass and you walked in, and you were like, it just kind of really cracked me up because you were like, hey, that that sounds good. Like you would come in, you would maybe you would come in first place in the Marcus Miller satellite contest. <laughs> I, I, I come in fourth. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You all, well, you actually, you said third. I was okay, like, go, right, go for the bronze, Marcus. <laughs> but what really cracked me up is, as you know, listen, we, we had a laugh probably similar to, to that, you know, and I dug that I was like, wow, you know, um, 
I'm I'm 19. I'm, I'm I have access to these guys that are really doing it, and I don't know how much longer this version of record making is going to exist. Mm -hmm. As soon as I saw all those synths, I kind of you know. I, I knew that it was like, oh man, pretty yeah. soon it's gonna be like dudes in a room. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I really, really felt that. And my old man was smart enough to say, you need to get all this gear. You mm -hmm. need to learn how to use all of this because records are going away and he was right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when you said, wow, you kind of sound like me. First part was like, oh man, well, you know, Someone has a a huge self, you know, like oh, a huge, yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, right. come on, Marcus, right, like right, a lot right. of us can, you know. Right, right, but the right. other thing was like, wow, you know what? He's right. You need a voice. Mm -hmm. You need a voice. And it was funny. Like, I think I didn't, I stopped playing a certain way mm -hmm. for like a while. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I was Good. like, no, no, no. It was great. Because, you know, sometimes you pull your own, you pull your own coat to something and you just go like, whoa, wait a minute. I'm either going to do these gigs and sound like someone mm -hmm. or I'm going to like, you know, I got to figure it out. And I just remember the... the well, that, if you want to be on the varsity, yeah. if, you, if you're if you okay with JV, you can make a whole career out of sounding like somebody. Yeah, that wasn't... Yeah. But, but Jocko said the same thing to me, yeah. which is, oh yeah, you're the little black kid who plays like me. You know what I mean? <laughs> And I think he was, I think he phrased it that way because Joe Zoffano probably said to him, oh yeah, I don't need you, this little 19 year old black kid in New York who plays just like you. You know yeah. what I mean? And yeah. so when I met Jock, he said, so you're the, yeah. you're the kid. But um, he said that and then uh, maybe a year later, he called me up to his hotel. He was at the Sunset Marquee in LA. He said, come up to my room, get a lesson. You know. <laughs> so I came up to his room, you know, I was like, uh, there's no time for ego right here, I need to go and learn from this cat whatever I could possibly learn because he's yeah. a bad dude. Yeah. And he says, play something. He has me the bass and says, play something. So I said to myself, I can sit here and play my Jocko Pastorius licks uh -huh. or not. <laughs> because why the hell would I do that in front of the guy? You know yeah, what I mean? Why would I? I mean, I surprised you. You didn't know I was coming in. But yeah. for me, he handed me the bass and said, play something. I went, yeah. And he said, I can do that. No, you can't. I just don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I realized, man, look, yeah. I said, said to myself, you know, you need to be able to come with something that's so organic to who you are yeah. that nobody can ever outdo you at it because no one can be you better than you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so um, so I tell everybody, you know what I mean? Like, Stanley Clark tells people, yeah, you sound just like me. We know what it's going to do. We know the reaction that's going to get from the player. He's going to go, wait a minute. It's not necessarily sounding like you. Yeah. Oh, yes, it is. You always would say the same thing to me. When we, we did a, I think, I did one tour with your band, and, and at the end of it, I was just like, well, all right, you know what? The whole time I was holding this bass, and I never got right. to do anything. Right. And and this is no diss on Mark King, but you would always say you're doing your Mark King shit. I'll tell you what, I didn't even know Mark King. I never heard him. All I ever heard was you imitating Mark King. <laughs> and in all fairness, at that time, I definitely... You know you know what's interesting about that to me is I wasn't as into Mark King as I was into Wally Bataru because I was more into producers and I was more... like So it's for me, I sat there and I learned how to play bass and I could play like approximate playing like mm -hmm. you. But my whole thing was, wow, no, no, no. How do you how do you make a path in this, and how do you make records? If mm -hmm. if playing bass, I just looked at you and I was like, well, he played bass, and then people 
were like, hey, you write songs, you're gonna produce, right. you're gonna tour, be my musical director. Right. I figured something's gotta be your foot in the door and then you take it from there. Yeah. So, you know, I never think of like, you know, I remember friends of mine say, oh man, you hung out with Marcus? Man, what did he show you? And I'd be like, everything about doing everything in the studio but playing the bass. <laughs> he never, I, honestly, if I picked up your bass, he would always say, Adam, you're gonna kill my strings, like please. You need a glandectomy, like you know. And I would be like, man, I I I've played the bass, but not very often. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You a sweater. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right. I still am. I mean, it's like you know, I need All a right. string endorsement just because like I'm like Anthony Jack, like new set of strings every every song. <laughs> but, but you know, I had um, I had a, uh, I started probably professionally when I was 15 or 16. Yeah. Right. So, um. Like you said, I started it as the bass player in the band, you know, but I was handing out cassettes, you know, to whoever I was working with. Say, hey, check out my tune, you know, just let me know what you think. I did that to Lonnie Liston Smith. I did yeah, that to yeah. Bobby Humphrey. I did it to uh, David Sambo. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, Sambo said, I, I want to do every song on this cassette. You know, yeah. and that became his Voyeur album. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. So my career started, so by the time I'm 23, 24, you know, you start as a bass player, then you're kind of writing and you're arranging it. You know, you're telling the other guys in the band what to do because you wrote the song, why, why sure. not, you know what I mean? Yeah. And the next thing you know, you're standing there, you're giving, you know, David Sambo and Miles Davis, Luther Vandross, you know, you're, you're behind the producer's desk, you yeah. know? So, and that was, a, a, that was my art, man. By the time I was 27, 28, 29, it was a whole kind of full body of work. But I think I knew that um, in order to do what I want to do, which is continue to play music, mm. that I got to leave that stuff behind. You know what I mean? It's so, pretty heady stuff for someone that's not even 30. Yeah, it was like, I mean, it's just like, you know, New York, you could just feel it. You could feel yeah. that New York was changing, you know, yeah. the clubs were going, uh, the sound was changing. Yeah. And, you know, I watched people like Herbie, I watched people like Miles, who weren't afraid to kind of shed what was working for them and just find something new. It takes a lot of courage, man, you know? And it's funny because people, when I tell, you know, people, you know, man, I had to keep changing with the times. They go, man, I can recognize your bass sound from 1977 to now, you know? Well, that, that's true. But that was the only thing that didn't change. You know right. what I mean? That was my through line. That's the thing that connected everything for me. Because if you listen to the compositions, you listen to the rhythms, you listen to the production style, you listen to everything. No, it's that was what was what was growing, you know. What I mean? Because for me, like you say, for me, the bass is just one part of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's the thing. When we were working the other week, I was just like, you know, I, I don't think it, and I don't know, like bass players will listen to this. I don't think of you. You're a musician that plays bass. You know what I mean? Like right. I, I think more of the arranging skills. And the production skills and i also think like listen i wanted to be around that and i was drawn to the bass playing aspect of it but to me it, it was the full picture of like you know you had a, you had a clear vision mm -hmm. and intention once you you know like every, i remember talking to layla and she was like wow you got to spend all that time in the studio you were a baby mm -hmm. like what's the most what's the thing she actually was like what's the thing you learned the most and i was like how to keep a, a room moving 
constant <laughs> motion mm-hmm. and 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 setting the vibe and and you know it wasn't really about like oh i learned how to do this thing in d flat mm-hmm. minor you know like mm-hmm. none of that it was never energy, energy management yeah. yeah absolutely and like you know and then it didn't hurt that like if you were working on a tommy la puma thing we we ate like kings yeah yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly well, you, you know, know the, the um <laughs> the thing is all those talents were studio and production and arranging talents yeah and when the the tone of the time started changing mm. and producing records wasn't as important you know people started going i just want to see it live you know i want to yeah. see i want to see the real thing and uh you can't um as easily showcase your arranging skills mm. live i mean it's there and people can hear it Right. But people don't see you. People can't see what goes on in your mind because arranging happens in your mind. You know, yeah, yeah. people can't see what goes on in your mind when you're composing a song because that goes on in your mind too. What people can see is you playing the bass. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah. So I knew once I started playing live in the '90s. You know, because before then I, I was I lived in a studio, man. You know? No, I yeah. I played in clubs in New York at night, so everybody who lived in New York knew what I could do yeah. as a player. But everybody else was like, I didn't know you could play like that. I was like, oh. Well, and that's the thing. Like, listen, my, the period of time I caught you in was sort of no more real live performance, strictly producing records. Mm-hmm. And honestly, what Sun Don't Lie is at the first record, mm-hmm. I, I was gone. Mm-hmm. I was shocked that you made that record. I, you know what I mean? Like, I, I to me, I was like, no, no, well, he'll, he'll keep producing. You're right. I'm sure there's another Luther record. You know right, what I mean? Like, right, right. And, and actually, from there... I was like, Marcus is scoring films. I had worked on one film with you, school, uh, not school days, uh, House Party. You mm-hmm. and Lenny did mm-hmm. House Party. Yeah, we sure did. Yeah. And I remember yeah. just whatever, doing any kind of random tasks during that. Yeah. But the, the, the film score thing, does, did that inform? Oh, everything informs everything. You know right, I mean? but how, how would that inform? Because that was really like, I, di- I didn't, I saw it coming, but I didn't see it coming, but I saw it right. coming. Um, Reggie Hudlin. Who, who was the house party yeah. writer and, and director. He said, I love your records. I want you to score my film. I said, well, I never scored a film. And he was like, shut up and lie. You, you'll be, you'll be yeah. fine. I'll send you the film. You'll, you'll figure it out. And, you know, he came to the studio. We were working um, at Joel's place in, in New Jersey, right? And Reggie came by and said, that's great what you wrote. I love it. Only problem is I can't hear a word my actors are saying <laughs> because you covered it all up with music. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah, that was lesson number one. Yeah, you know what I mean. And and uh, he sat there with me, and you know, you know, I learned quickly. You know, yeah. I was like, okay, I got it, got it, of course. The 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 actors are the lead singers. Yeah. Okay, got it. Carve out for dialogue. That's what it's called. You know. Yeah. And so I got into it. Uh, Luther was working in L.A. This is the beginning of the '90s. Luther was working. Uh, recording in L.A. because he was living now yeah, in yeah, L.A., yeah. although we're both from New York. He had moved out, man. He was a big star, and we'd go to L.A., man, and spend three or four months on his records at A&M Studios. Oh, yeah, like that. I remember. So, you know, I'm in L.A., and the first time, man, I was there by myself. Second time, I brought my family with me. You yeah. know, the second record that we did in L.A. Yeah. And, you know, we uh, rented a house, and, and uh, our two little boys got old enough to put in school you know we didn't want to pull them out so let's stay yeah, in LA until yeah, the school until yeah, yeah. the year it's that kind of really family practical family considerations and then uh Reggie called me and said hey man uh, I'm, I'm doing an Eddie Murphy film Boomerang you know what I mean so can you stay in LA because we're gonna do it in LA and that's what happened man so I got I got uh, into Boomerang 
And the House Party and Boomerang was a pretty successful movie. Yeah. You know what I mean, right. and then the next thing you know, you're getting called from Keenan, and you're getting called from Chris Rock, and you're getting called from yeah. all sorts of people. Yeah. And it's at a time when I needed to find something that I could do and be around my family. Yeah, you know I mean? because it's a really you know, we important. Have kids and we yeah, had two girls. So we had two boys, two girls. They were young. I could work on the movies at home. You know yeah. what I mean? And it was nice. You know. Oh, so did you do everything from a home studio? I basically? did everything from a home studio. There, there are movies I played every instrument. Yeah. You know? Even with big bands, I, I would, I would use a, you know, I played a tenor, <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah. I had a baritone, and I played yeah. alto. You know what I mean? I was just yeah. like, just doing it on my own. You know what I mean? And uh, mostly because it was fun. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, it's a total blast. And, and then a lot of it was just you know we didn't have the budget to be hiring a bunch of guys at that time. So anyway, that's how my movie thing got started, man. And then um. And then when the kids got older, it was like, okay, I can start to, you know, I can explain to them where I am. I can start to maybe get my band together and start yeah. doing tours. So, so uh, it was a nice period, the movie thing. I mean, I'm still doing them. Uh, oh, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I did. Um, when are we going to do one? I, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm doing a ton of them. Yeah, I, I did um, the, the Kevin Hart uh, uh, about last night. Oh, movie. yeah. And uh, I didn't know that. That's great. Yes, I, I enjoy it, man. So what what it does for your music, though, is you learn how important uh, manipulating people's emotions are in yeah. films. You know, because Absolutely. you learn what certain notes do to people. You know, when you're playing jazz, you're just like, man, I want to find, like, this. <laughs> because no one's ever heard this before. And sometimes, some players are not really concerned with the emotion that this creates. Right. Right, whatever that it, this is. Right. right, but when you're doing film, everything you do, you have to be concerned with the emotion that it creates, and you Absolutely. and you start learning about people because when you first start doing films, or at least when I first started doing films, I was like, I'm not when danger is getting ready to happen. I'm not going to just use that one low note on right, the basis right. because everybody does that. But you start realizing you're having an argument with human physiology. You yeah. know what I mean? Like. Deep low sounds scare people. Yep, and you have to at some point admit that. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, and, and and if you go against that, you know why? Yeah. You know what I mean? A little too hip for the room. Yeah, so you start. So you start it. to say, okay, maybe I can find something else that elicits the same emotional response, and maybe I can't. Uh, maybe I need to go with what's uh, tried and true, mm-hmm. and then you start to realize that all of music and all art is a combination of the known and the unknown. Right. You know, of convention and experimentation. You know, you can't get away with it. You know, even yeah, like yeah. Ornette Coleman, you know what I mean? Yeah. Those melodies that he came with, they sounded half like children's nursery rhymes and half like, I don't know what this is. You know yeah. what I mean? Even Wayne Shorter tunes, you change a couple of notes and you yes. get a very singable, you know, you know, it's like, a, like an Irish jig. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's all folk music. It's all the known and the unknown, and mm. that's what makes it, and how you manipulate the, non, the known and the unknown is what makes you who you are, you know right. what I mean? And so um, when you do movies, you realize that. What am I going to just say, okay, I'm gonna use the tried and true. Where am I gonna try to do something that people haven't heard before, you know? Right. And you learn about support, because your job is really to support what's going on on the screen. You know, your yeah. job, you know, you might have what I call a Rocky moment where Rocky's running all through Philadelphia and you right, get, to, right. da, 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 you yeah, get yeah. to make a big musical statement. It's like your shout chorus. Yeah, you don't like really... your shout chorus. Like you're, you're, like you're a 
a player in the film. Right. You know? But lots of times that opportunity is not there. And no. your job is simply to just guide people emotionally through the film. So if you have that talent, man, that ends up, you know, transferring to the stage, you know, because it's all energy manipulation, you know, energy management, you know, mm-hmm. like when I'm, when I got a band on the stage now, man, I'm feeling the whole room. I'm like, what do we need to do now? Uh, I think I got about 16 more bars of this that we're on before it's going to be time to change the color. <laughs> right. Just like you do with, a, with a, a dance mix, you know what I mean? You go yeah. like, we're here, we're here, and I got to manage this energy. I got to move it somewhere else. You yeah. know? And that really becomes something that people can't even, people don't even understand why they felt a certain way at the end of your show. You know what I mean? Because that's what your job is, to just kind of move them through through the emotions of their life, you know? Yeah. Oh, no. I, you know, it's funny. I do remember being... Being in Japan, and you were mentioning your kids, the, the really fun, one of the funniest moments for me was sitting in your hotel room, and you were actually doing math homework with your daughter, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> you know, it's like thinking that you're like, you know, 8,000 miles from home, but like, you got to get someone through fourth grade math, and yeah. I was like, that's, that's yeah. the important thing, you know what I mean, like, you know. Well, some people, some people just can't do it. Some people you know I mean? hide on the road. I mean, they, yeah, they, you know, or, or it's just like the mindset is so different. But for me, it was like, um, you know, it's important for me. You know, it's important yeah. to, to have like the the balance so you don't get too far tripped out. You know what I mean? On all the attention on you. You know. Yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fun. So and actually, it's funny you mentioned that because you know when we got to Japan, I was like. There've been a couple artists I've worked with that are big in certain, like you know, really big in France or really big mm-hmm. somewhere, and you you're there with them, and all of a sudden they're like another dude. Mm-hmm. In Japan, I was like, whoa, wait a minute, Marcus has his own car. Yeah. <laughs> they said it has nice frilly things, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, wow, you know, like I I just think of Marcus is you know my 29 year old friend. You know what I mean? You right. have a vision of people. Right. And I was like, wow, this is kind of nuts. We're doing like. 30 days straight in one country. That's like, <laughs> what is this, U2? Yeah. You know? Well, it, you know, I have, a, I have a bunch of different, like, uh, different scenarios around the world, you know? Yeah. I mean? Based on music resonating with one country or this music resonating with another country, you know what I mean? And I'm just now starting to get everything to vibrate on the same that's hard you know what I mean yeah. because Japan would be one thing and and I was you know there are certain songs certain periods of music that was really popular there yep. and it's a completely different thing from, from France you know or England or from yeah. Washington D.C. you know what I mean <laughs> or Dayton Ohio <laughs> yeah, you know what yeah, I mean yeah. like I would always have to go okay where am I and what resonates here because I've done so much stuff Yeah. you know I remember going to Detroit and there was one song that they loved, and we, I forgot to play it because no one right. told me that that was that was what was happening there in Detroit. Yeah, you know what I mean, so. Um, and that's that's a trip that you mentioned that because the the body of work goes back so far that there are hits that happen in cert- regionally. Right. Records would be bigger in certain parts of the country than others right. based on you know population and yeah, you know. Exactly. I saw a thing, man, that cracked me up because I know what was going through your mind. You, you did some base clinic or Q&A thing on YouTube. I have this every once in a while. You know, you get mm-hmm. in a mm-hmm. wormhole on YouTube. And mm-hmm. You were in England, and some dude yelled at, play the bass line to see me. Yes. And I just immediately laughed, because I'm like, that's a great bass line, but what? Yes. Well, it's I, a B-side, you know, like... I had warning on that, because one day, 
And he was 80s. insane, by the way. The yeah. guy was yelling stuff out like he yes. was kind of a crazy person. But one day in L, uh, in the eighties, Luther called me from England. <laughs> oh man, he, he said, was so big there, he man. He said, "Marcus, you will not believe." Yeah. What's a big hit here? And I said, "What?" He said, "See me." Wow. I said, "See me." Now we 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 yeah. loved see me, but we yeah. didn't uh, anticipate it being anything that people would be no. yelling for. You yeah. know what I mean? It was like a nice B side. It's a great of, album of a, track. Uh, it's a nice album track. Yeah. And he said, Marcus, it's like I have a magic feather, <laughs> and I wave it, and everybody falls down. I said, see me? He goes, yeah. yeah. So we always laughed. That became our reference. You know, maybe this will be another see me. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when I was in the U.K. a few years ago, and the guy goes, play see me. I was like, I actually remember see me. You know what I mean? Because we've been talking about it. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's interesting. In, in the U.K., it would happen a lot. Uh, I remember yeah. a DJ said to me, Marcus, what we've been talking about is cool, but I'm going to play one of your finest achievements, right? And he played this Lonnie Liston yeah. song that I hadn't heard in years yeah. and that I didn't know anyone was paying attention to. Yeah. It's kind of cool, man, because it, it just shows you, man, that different things resonate with different people. Yeah. But I have to always kind of say, okay, where am I? Who am I in this yeah. country? You know what I mean? Yeah. And now it's, like I said, it's starting to kind of start to equalize, you know, where it's, I'm basically the same dude everywhere. That's great. And it, and just think, it only takes nine albums, <laughs> yeah. or or, well, or hundred and nine albums. Well, you know, when I um when I finished with that period that you were talking about, which was producing Luther and Miles and Roberta Flack, and Shaka Khan and producing all these people, yeah. uh, and I said, you know what, I have to. Uh, uh, hold on one second. I yeah, have yeah, to. no, go for it. Hello. Speaking. <laughs> oh, I thought you were one of my friends goofing on me with that <laughs> official word, or that official tone. That's what I thought too. I heard that. Good evening, <laughs> and welcome I'd to like Movie to speak Phone. To Marcus Miller, and welcome to Movie Phone. <laughs> Ooh, attitude. I'm in the middle of, a, of an interview right now, so can we do this a little later? Yeah, no problem at all. All right, thanks. Right, bye -bye. That was really funny. Why don't you tell me the name <laughs> of the movie you'd like to see? <laughs> Press seven now. Oh, what was that? Man. It was a solicitation. Yeah, it was somebody that uh, that I think we we contribute to. Oh, oh, okay. I mean, it, like it, a charitable. Yeah, yeah, that's so funny. So well, that, anyway, that, anyway, wow, so, yeah. the, so the eight, the, the, uh, all of that, and then I got to a point where I said, okay, Miles has passed away, yeah. right? Uh, I don't really feel like getting, you know, I, I really been that guy with Luther and with David Sanborn and Miles, but I'm starting to feel like, you know, I tried a couple of albums in the, in the early 80s, but I think it's time for me to start again with my own thing, right. you know? That's when I started on The Sun Don't Lie. And as I was saying, man, you know, the arranging and the, the orchestration and the composing and the production is cool, but I need a focal point. 
you know, when I was working with Luther, it was his voice, of course. When I was mm. working with Miles, it was his trumpet, Sanborn, it's his sax. I got to find a way. I need a focal point because I'm going to be the artist. So that's when I started focusing back on the bass. You know what right. I'm saying? I'm going to make this, this is what I do instrumentally. Let me see what I can do to focus it around the bass. And that's when I started, like, on part two. Right. Or two, two and a half. Three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because exactly. it's like you know. Yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot going on, man. I mean, I was in Saturday Night Live's house band, man. Yeah, I was nineteen. You know what I mean? We sh- we share that. Uh, I wasn't in the band, but I wrote music for the show, and I was. Yeah. I worked. That's it. Was an interesting experience, you know. Oh, SNL. Yeah. That's oh, like yeah. a real trial by fire, you know. I remember working on a thing for Colin Quinn. Remember Colin Quinn? Mm-hmm. The, I wrote a theme to a show that they did for him, and I finished the theme as the first episode aired. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is like show of shows. This is yeah. like real TV, man. You yeah. you know, like, I love that live TV experience. And that yeah. must have informed, I mean, listen, isn't, wasn't Sanborn in the house band? And Sanborn like, was in the house Spinoza band. Paul, and... Paul Schaefer was in the house band. Buddy Williams. Uh, oh, man. Um, Howard Johnson. Right, really? Yeah, Howard Johnson played baritone sax, yeah. and he played trumpet and, in the band. And uh, Leon Pendarvis was in the band. Still there. Yeah, it was yeah. it was it was really, really a great experience, you know, and I ended up playing with Miles and leaving Saturday Night Live. Yeah, to do that, you know. So yeah, there was, I had a bunch of episodes, man, and and you know, uh, young players now. They tend to focus on you know, a lot of stuff that I can do that's more flashy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. but you know, I was a studio musician, man, for like twenty years. You know, yeah. with playing with headphones on all day long you know what I mean so there are things man that are really important to me that like live players (laughs) they they just go right by in terms of placement in terms of tone you know what I mean there's things that I go man you don't hear how that's that's not right I guess that's fine you know what I mean (laughs) I, I I've been on the receiving end of the you don't hear how that's wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you definitely, yeah. There's yeah. sensibilities, you know, for sure. I mean, you know, yeah. I I just uh, but in terms of sound, yeah. You know what I mean, how your sound works in a record, you know. What I mean, what what your role is, all those things that you really have to pay attention to, when you're in a studio thing, you know, what I mean? because you can't you can't like on a recording, like particularly on a R and B or soul recording, yeah. having chops is not going to get you through. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's weird. My favorite bass players that play on those records tend to get to shine and be a little busier than the sort of, you said, junior varsity guys. But, yeah. you yeah. know, let's face it, there are JV guys. Yeah. It, it always, you know, like, I used to get so frustrated as a bass player because you would try to do all this stuff and you just got fired. Right. And I'm like, well, wait, he did this. Right. And I'm like, yeah, but... Nine times out of ten, if you did something or like, mm-hmm. you know, there's X amount of guys like, it framed the melody and it framed it served the song in that moment, perfectly. You if know, you, it, if you now that you've been producing, yeah, for so many years, yeah, and putting the whole picture together, uh, now, yeah, yeah. like when if you if yeah. you pick up the bass to play anything, you'll know exactly when yeah. there's an opportunity for yeah. you to jump out there. You know, the 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 main thing I ever do when I pick up a bass ever is the first thing I do is play the longest whole note possible <laughs> like you know like it, I always think of like trade shows like Nam. everybody picks up a bass and shows everyone every <laughs> single thing they've ever learned <laughs> I always just go boom and it's right. like Ray Charles ballad tempo right, 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 whole right, note right. you know but I'll tell you it's, um, it's, it's all it's all 
valid. It's yeah. all cool. I mean, you got young kids, particularly young boys, you know, who music is a physical thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. And what they get turned on by is speed, you know, like athleticism, you yeah. know what I mean? And speed and athleticism will help you create some some cool yeah. moments in music, you know what I mean? And then you got other people who aren't concerned with that at all, and they just want to know, what does this music make me feel? Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's different strokes for different folks, you know what I mean? I, I, uh, I try to use the technique to create a feeling, you know yeah. what I mean? Not just, and not the feeling of, wow, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like he's, he's, I mean, sometimes that's cool too, but it's really more just to go, Rah! you know, like that yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. like I'm finally releasing this, you know what I mean? And, 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 and build uh, yeah. to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Meter. Exactly. So that's that. But you know, hey man, there's a whole like industry of players who were there just to show you the possibilities of the instrument. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, and they, you know, they they're playing all the different techniques and stuff. And uh, I'm interested in that too. It's not like I want to put it on when I'm. Well, yeah, no, and I understand that. I mean, you should be because you're a guy. You're you're all right in that sort of. I don't even want to really get into bass stuff, but in the bass world. I think that there are guys that are focused on that didn't have that 20 years of I played on a Coca-Cola spot mm -hmm. and it needed to be this way or I played with, with Grover and it needed yeah. to sit this way. Yeah. That experience doesn't happen for anyone anymore. Right, right. exactly. You know, there's no opportunity for that. There's yeah. none. I know that for me, I remember working, like when I got back from school, you moved and for like a short period of time, maybe about three years, I got... I would su I would sub for someone that wasn't I would get called for things to be on that you would you know BB would call me and say mm -hmm. hey listen play on this mm -hmm. you know they asked for Marcus there's no mm -hmm. way in life he's gonna do it mm -hmm. you'll do it they'll mm -hmm. save some money mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the bottom line was I worked on maybe like 30 records from artists all over the globe you know Japanese pop records Mexican French German mm -hmm. and like that vanished mm -hmm. like you knew when you were in the room like, all right, I don't know what they're saying, but I know how to fit into their puzzle. It's not about me. I just want to get, mm -hmm. you know, as many songs on this as I can. Mm -hmm. But that, it really has vanished. So I wonder how guys learn that skill now. I mean, I guess it's almost like, you know. Well, you, well, you, don't, you might not learn that skill. Right. It's, you but if, you, if you're playing in church, okay, uh, you, uh, yeah. for, a while, for a while it was, you have to serve the music. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the musicians have kind of busted out of that and taken over. <laughs> like, a little you know too I mean? much. And yeah. they, they busted out and taken over. But um, you still have to play with some feeling, though. You know no, no, I mean? no, a ton. Yeah. Sometimes there's a horrible yeah. lack of taste, uh, you know, but I get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of them are young, you know what I mean? Yeah. And a lot of them, see, back in the day, if you came out of a church band and then you got an Aretha Franklin's band, yeah, um, King Curtis... Yeah. was your band director and he would let you know and yeah. you know you would literally could get cut yeah by overplaying if you didn't like play stuff actually cut <laughs> would he carry that knife with him on the bandstand yeah no you know? my dad was super tight with curtis yeah so and, there's yeah. a there's a different thing also yeah. um like with drummers huh. um there was a time when we would pay three times as much for a drummer who could just keep it in the pocket. Yeah. You know what I mean? Who just would not let that beat go. Yeah. I mean, 
there were drummers who, if you were standing on the outside, you're not a musician, you go, why is that guy always working? Because I don't see what he does right. that's so special, but he could keep that beat. Give me two oh, guys. Steve Ferroni. Right. Okay, Steve Gadd. Yeah. Okay, who else? Steve Jordan. Steve Jordan. You know if your I mean? name is Steve, you're pretty All much... All the Steves, yeah you're, yeah, you're in there. You know what I mean? But these guys, that was their job, and yeah. they, they were excellent at it. Then, drum machines came on. And if you were a good enough programmer, you could get the drum machine to hold that groove yeah. as long as you wanted. You yeah. know? Now, the problem up until that point was that there were some drummers who had a good groove, but they got bored or distracted, or they're, they're, they wanted to do something more physical. You right. know what I mean? Like, man, I'm looking at my toms. I haven't hit them in a long time. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I missed them. And, and what they play would not serve the music. It would interrupt the groove instead of making the groove even more deep. Right. You know what I mean? So when you got a drum machine, like, look, it might not play great fills, but that groove is right there. And I, I can create the energy with my bass or my guitar, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Just like, like Sly's group, you know? Greg Erico, the, the drummer. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was just holding it down, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you didn't realize he was just holding it down because Graham and Freddie <laughs> and Sly yeah. were dancing around him, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. now we got a drum machine that can do that. Everybody can have that drummer. You know what yeah. I mean? Not just a few guys who actually found the guy who can do that. Right, right, right. right and right. so now we went into an era where the beat is not a question anymore. The steadiness is not a question anymore. Yeah. You know? Then, and this lasted for 20, 30 years. Right? Yeah. Then all of a sudden, people hear a live drummer. And they they're like, out. man, that's the most exciting thing I've ever seen. And they're not interested in a guy who can hold the beat down because they've been hearing that for 30 years yeah. with drum machines. You know? So, dude, just go off. Just go off. I just want to see you go off. That's what you hear, like uh, music directors telling the drummer. Yeah. I just need energy. I just need because yeah, they don't yeah. value it anymore because it's been around. Yeah. But when we were coming up, man, just to find a drummer who could just lay it in there, yeah. that was like gold, man. It's yeah. like, dude, I love you. Thank yeah. you. You know what I mean? <laughs> Thank you for you know, you know. So so it's just cyclical. You know what I mean? And eventually, you know, I think that thing will calm down. You know. It's gonna have to. <laughs> it's kind of out of hand. Well, it depends because yeah. you know. Um, you would think that uh, all the riffing in like R&B singing, you know what I mean? No, it's gotten worse. You yeah. would think that that would have calmed down by now. No. But uh, it's it's still, you know, and young people's tastes have changed too, sure. so that they expect that. So you never right. know when something's just going to be a fad or whether yeah. people are going to acclimate to it and then it's going to become right. the norm. Well, it's like, you know, it's funny, my old man and I used to have a joke that guys would go in the 30s and audition for things, and they had learned to sing off of records that were recorded in such mid-range. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, and they yeah, would yeah, sing yeah. that way. They and sang they, like the record. Yeah, so yes. you know, they're just. And now people are singing like they actually have auto tune on their voice. I know. You know, and they're doing great jobs at it. You yeah. Know? No. So yes, that it ends up influencing the new generation, and they they assume that what they hear is what they should be doing. Yeah. Speaking of new and young artists, do you ever want to put your producer hat back on because an artist catches your ear and you say hey oh wow you know this is someone well, that reminds me of well I just finished uh, Alex Hahn's album just okay. finished producing that you know and gonna find a, a home for that album you know what I mean but it's really nice he's a really talented dude yeah, you know he's what a great mean? player and uh, excited about that I'm excited about the guitar player in my band whose name is Adam Agati yeah and I'm thinking maybe we can do something you know in terms of uh, singers I mean, when, more in the pop or R&B yeah, yeah. world. In terms of pop or R&B, like, once Luther passed, I kind of yeah. took a break from from singers, from, from male singers, you know what yeah, I mean? Because yeah. it just, like, just couldn't get into it, you know what I mean? 
But, uh, you know, I'm going to get back into it, you know what I mean, as soon as I hear somebody that I think is, uh, I, I, I resonate with. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Oh, there's a lot of talented people out there. No, 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 there's I mean? a ton. I just, I wonder, I, I wonder, and I've never even asked you this, I never even thought to ask you this, like, do, does like a, you know, I think that, you know, like a Chris Brown, maybe not, he's not the example, the real legit example, but I'm saying like certain artists, they must have grown up so influenced by Luther. Yeah, you know, a lot of do they ever yeah. reach out and say, "Hey, can you play bass on this?" Or, "Hey, can you know, can you you know, you know, can I do a cover of this tune?" Or, you know, whatever. I, I wouldn't yeah. think someone like he would do that, but right, you know. no. Um, I, I think uh, I think I played bass on a, a Chris Brown remix or something like that. Oh, really? But, but it wasn't him; it was a producer. You know what I mean? Sure. But I get that from the producers. You know what I mean? Yeah, because hey, they're man, more locked in. They yeah, tend to be they're like, more... "Hey, man, come play this." Yeah, I just did something for 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 Dr. Dre. Um, oh yeah couple of months ago i just went out to hang out he said you got your bass i said no nah. but he had an old alembic bass old school bass <laughs> so i don't know if he's gonna use it or not but, oh uh, that's that's a potential furniture moment yeah, yeah but, those, but i have are frightening i but i had fun doing it you know what i mean and he knew all the tunes man you know? no 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 he's you know those guys q-tip knows all the tunes yes he does you know he really knows all the tunes uh yeah there's a lot of like producers man who know the history you know? i told you q-tip used to call my house like and talk to my dad Oh yeah, I yeah. T- yeah, and then you know I finally met him. It was weird, but um, yeah, I I really love the guys that really know the history, mm-hmm. even if they can't sit down and, and and maybe you know play or whatever. It's like well, I'm convinced. I mean, like if they kept music in school beyond my grad my my generation in New York, the Q-tip would be yeah he'd be. badass musician. You know what I mean? Most deaf too. You know what I mean? Because they were in New York, they were just right after my generation, and that's when they uh eliminated the music in the schools. You know? Oh, really? That far back? Yeah, yeah, right after. In the 1780s? <laughs> yeah, right in the 1700s, exactly, you know? What and, do uh, with you? Yeah, exactly. Um, I didn't realize, because I, all right, that's why. I mean, they, those guys didn't go to music and art, did they? No. None of the... In other words, I'm talking about the middle school level. No, I know, yeah, elementary, middle right, school, because like that's when you level. get turned on, you yeah. know what I mean? In order to get into LaGuardia School, you got to audition. Yeah, you so need you, to. So you yeah. have to already have made some progress on that front, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine Q-Tip playing tenor, though. Man, <laughs> man he would be bad on tenor, man. You, you so? know, he'd be like another one of the Jamaica Cats. You know, no like, one talks about Ali Shah, Shahi Muhammad, though, man. He's, yeah. from that band, I mean, I sat with him. He, his knowledge of the records, man, is just ridiculous and how to blend things. And I'm wondering if, I have like, to if, just you know, give him love, man. He's the best. I wonder if people, like, if those DJs are still like around, because I mean, I'm talking about Ali and Q-Tip. Every town they went to, yeah, they went to the record store. You know, yep. they, they poured through stuff, man. You know, no, that's that became such a big thing. It's almost been, you know what I mean? Like it's it's really, you know what it was for me. Those guys were the summers. They summed it all up. Yeah, like you know, music had been progressing. You know. 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, then you got to the 80s, and these cats said, okay, hip-hop is going to kind of move stuff in a different direction. Let's sum up what we've done up to this point. No, no, that's funny that you say that. You know, I view everything I do about the way I make records is I'm still examining the 30s and the 40s. I haven't had enough. Right. You know? And then so, you know, and then there's going to be a period of that, then I think people will begin to move forward again. You know what I mean? But yeah. We we just came out of one of the most creative periods 
in human history. You know what I mean? 20th century in America. You know sure. I mean? yeah. Like, the music really changed the world. You know, the music that is a result of, like, the slave experience and the mixing of our cultures here in America. You know what I mean? The whole thing. Mm. And our big commercial machine that, that could send that music mm. all over the world. Mm. You know what I mean? And we just came out of this amazing period. And so now people are going, okay, what mm. next? You know what I mean? Yeah. No. Well, we can end there on a positive note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, it, that it ends up actually, in fact, changing. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's human beings, man. You know, part of the problem with, with classicists to me is that, you know, what, you don't think the people today are capable of doing something as profound as Mozart and Beethoven? What, was the food different then? You know, was yeah. was... What, what, was that the, the era of the gods? No. You know? Or are you going to give somebody from today a chance to be the Mozart of, you know, 100 no. years from now? You know? No. It's like with jazz, it's like, dude, wait. Are, are we going to do a play the music of Monk and Train? Is that what, we, is that what, is that what jazz is now? Like, it's yeah. like, you know? Wait, well, dude, you know, there's some dudes here, man, if you give them a chance, you know? But maybe it's not going to happen in the jazz realm. Well, that's what I think. I think there's a technical exhaustion in that realm of, of specific instruments, you know. Yeah, Umtume was saying that. Do you remember him yeah. saying that? No. I Well, yeah, because, I mean, he's 100% correct. Is that what he said in the Stanley Crouch thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The technical exhaustion thing is 100% legit, but mm-hmm. it'll be interesting. It's interesting to see if it's a, it's, if it's a mesh of technology and, and ability to play instruments or whatever. It doesn't matter. Right. You know, It'll right. hopefully it'll be because, you know, it'll come from out of nowhere and it'll be some dude hitting buckets or something. You know, I hope it's not too intellectualized. You know, but hey, wow, we finally did it. All right, <laughs> we can. I can go have some Japanese food now. Yeah, you got to. You, you got to go on your cruise. Some time. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. Go.